It's been really good. How about yours? Yeah, not bad at all. That's good. You've been listening to much music? I've been listening to heaps of music. What have you been listening to? Um, the new Mastodon songs. Oh, I heard Tear. What was the the new one? Uh, Tear... Tear Drinker. Tear Drinker. Yep. I liked it. Yeah, it's good. It's good, it's isn't it? good to listen to it. Yeah, vocally. Oh, yeah. I got a feeling a Mastodon trying to sell some records. I hope so. Yeah, well, it just <laughs> has a, it's a very more polished sound. Yeah. That song actually was, to me, um, pretty a very ballady song for Mastodon. <laughs> Yeah, I just seemed, it just seemed like the, the lyrics were very clear, yeah. uh, got away from the growl a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, the guitars were not as heavy. heavy. Yeah. Um, and I thought, I'm Mastodon trying to sell some records here, mm. just going for that little bit of a more commercial sound. first song was pretty heavy. Yeah, it was pretty heavy. Mm. Yeah, I mean, are they all listening to the Metallica's Black Album in the last... <laughs> we must learn from the masters. We must learn. Because I've been thinking about that a bit, you know, and I've been thinking... Wow, that album was, it, it, it was so ahead of its time because it was the metal album that made people go, woo-ha. Yeah, we can. And no one ever really quite replicated it for length and mm. song type, song styles and everything like that. Yeah. They almost have thought, oh, I mean, everyone probably gets accused of jumping on the bandwagon. And, yeah, probably. And a lot of things were going on at that time as... Boy, are we going to discuss today. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Music Bar. And um, Music Bar Podcast. Thank you, Chris. Uh, okay. on, and on Twitter and on Instagram and on Facebook, Facebook and on YouTube. YouTube and on Apple and on Spotify and all the stuff. Thank you to our listeners. Thank you to the people commenting. Thank you to the people commenting. You've had some comments. I've Chris some reads the comments. comments. And um, thanks to the people listening. I was looking at some figures. America, Japan, and India. Yeah. I am stoked. Yeah, yeah. We are stoked that we are reaching out. Let us know where you're from and please send, drop us a line, uh, musicbarpodcast at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. uh, that's themusicbarpodcast at yeah. gmail.com. Let, let us know where you're listening from and, you know, what I put a poll on um, the Spotify one for the last episode we did about the 500 Yep. Greatest songs of all time. I uh, I have asked a Q and A. Do you think it's good? It's just a simple yes or no. Yep. And the other one is, do you think that uh, Aretha Franklin's "Respect" is the greatest song of all time? <laughs> I don't want you to tell me what you think it is because I just don't want to. Everyone's got a different opinion. Yeah, you know, big argument. Yeah, yeah, it's a big argument. And we'll, we'll go into that. We will go into it a little bit further. But what other comments have we had, Chris? Uh, a few comments. Um... Um, about Australian music. Yes. We that, had pretty good views on that. That's been a real popular one. Hit. Yes. Um, people mentioning bands I've missed that we didn't talk about. And I'm like, we only had 40 minutes. We went to 50 minutes and we can't mention everything. Let me tell you something. We literally just dropped the yeah. the, the the veritable stone in the lake and just the ripple out, okay? Yeah. There's still more to go. We understand that. And we know there's people from overseas too want to know more about Australian yeah, yeah, music. Yeah. You know? So we will do more um episodes on Australian music in the future, um, mm -hmm. especially knowing that people want to hear it. Um, so definitely, yeah, thanks for those comments on um, mention your Australian bands and if we didn't mention it, mm -hmm. let us know and we'll do some research, we'll look into it and we'll probably listen to them ourselves oh, and yeah. um, talk about a bit more. I have heard most of them, believe me. Yeah, but, sure you know, you have. Yeah, okay, so. we can talk Men at Work as a whole other story as well. You know, we, we, yeah. there's so many we could have talked about. Yeah. But and at the end of a podcast, we kind of just like mentioned a few just off the top of the head, like Choir Boys and Tism, yeah. just to get a few names in there, but we never mentioned Metal Work, which <laughs> cause offence. Yes. <laughs> that could be our national anthem. I thought a lot about that episode too, and I, I kind of thought, oh, you know, I, I didn't want to be disparaging to the Australian metal scene. I, I felt I might have been like, we okay. never had that metal band that, well, we never have. Australia no. never had that metal band. Carnival, probably, but they're not a world-beating band in any no, way. Their kind of music wouldn't appeal to most people. Yeah, anyway. prog bands. very progressive. Oh, yeah, you know, 27-4 time and all that sort yeah. of stuff. <laughs> I have listened to Goliath. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable, yeah. yeah. But in saying that, there is a metal scene in Australia. Mm -hmm. It just never, we never got, like our punk scene did. Mm. Like our pop scene did, our dance music did. You know, it was there's still a metal scene, but for some reason the Australian metal scene just never was. We never produced that world-beating band. Like, no. These guys are Aussie and they're great, and we want to go and see them. And I bet you people watching this now going, "But what about ACDC? They're not technically <laughs> a metal band, no, and they do not categorise themselves as a metal band. I know when you go into JB Hi-Fi because that's the only record store left. 
they're under heavy metal. Yeah. Because you've got to put it there. Yeah. 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 But they're not, and same as Aerosmith are not a metal band. No. Even though they get dumped into it. Mm. So you, you had a great comment about one of the bands that you mentioned. Um, which band was that? Spice Girls. <laughs> I was told not to speak about Spice Girls ever again on this show. And I'm saying we're <laughs> going to do a whole episode on the Spice Girls <laughs> because we've got to look at, you know, Brit pop if we have to. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. I went to, a, like I said, if you watched the last podcast, you'll see it was a, I have no choice but to go. So I did and I enjoyed it. So well, look, we all, you know. That's what it was. Yeah. I've so, never been to one of those shows yet. Oh, really? I've always been kind Don't of... Don't make deals with your partner. That's exactly <laughs> right. Because <laughs> in the end, you lose. I just say, do you want to come to the show? And if she says, yeah, I'll buy two tickets. If she yeah. says, nay, I go, buy one ticket. Yeah, it's just one of those things. That I, I've taken to a few shows and, uh, like, I took her to Bruce Springsteen a couple of years ago. And that oh, was, yeah. you know, for a Bruce Springsteen fan, great. But she sat there and went, I don't know any of these songs. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, um, speaking of that, I did take Lexi to, in London... Again, same thing happened. I was going to go see Iron Maiden and Avenged Sevenfold opened for them at Twickenham Stadium. Two bands, Avenged Sevenfold's a good opener for, yeah, um, so for Iron Maiden. I was going to go to that. And again, the person who was going to go with me cancelled at the last minute. Uh-huh. So I got home and I wasn't feeling the best and I was actually in a bit of pain. So I said to Lex, you need to come with me. And she did. Oh, cool. So we ended up scalping my front row tickets for seating tickets. Yeah. Um, just so I could sit down because I wasn't feeling the best, but... She came and saw Iron Maiden and didn't know many songs, if any. Mm-hmm. And but she did know the Avenged Sevenfold because that's when they were kind of on their they're um, on the rise on up. the rise up. Mm-hmm. And we listened to them quite a lot. And I know she enjoyed it as far as I know. Um, probably wouldn't go see them again, but it's something to experience. So yeah. and seeing Iron Maiden at home ground <laughs> advantage, Twickenham yes. Stadium, it's pretty good. I remember Henry Rollins saying that he had to support Iron Maiden. And I don't oh. think he was an Iron Maiden fan. Right. I find it really odd. Henry Rollins is not an Iron Maiden fan, but yeah. mainly because he said their, their audience, he felt, were just a bunch of dickheads. <laughs> because he's up there with his band, the Rollins band, doing, and they're all in the front there going, F off, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. They wouldn't like him. Yeah. yeah. No, he's too sort of, he's sort of had a foot in punk, and mm. but his songs could be quite metallic, very sludgy and very... They weren't the greatest Aggressive. band. I like Henry Rollins, but the Rollins band were not the greatest band. No. They had some no. good songs, but that's about it, really. But yeah, so yeah, today's subject. Well, we're going back in time, Chris, so let's, let's go. I love going back in time. <laughs> that's terrible. 1991. Everyone's talking 1991, Chris. They are talking 91. Be- apart from the fact that it's 30 years ago, mm-hmm. two of the biggest albums of the 90s are celebrating their 30th anniversaries. Yep. And I just wanted to say, I looked at the ARIA vinyl charts today, okay. and that Nirvana's Nevermind and Metallica's Black Album are in the top 10 vinyl wow. in this country. So right now. Right now, right at this second. What year is this, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> 2021, 30 years later. It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> it and is. it's a vinyl. Hey? That's a vinyl, you're saying? Yeah, I remember years ago when I was working in commercial radio, I remember it was the year... Paul Kelly released a brand new album, the one with firewood and candles on it. It went to number one. Mm-hmm. Midnight Oil had announced they were reforming and touring, and Daryl Braithwaite was playing the Falls Festival because all of a sudden he's now hugely popular again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, "What year is this? <laughs> That's crazy. What year is this?" So yeah, so back ninety-one. Now and another one's about to celebrate its thirtieth anniversary, which is I don't like them, but I have to acknowledge. Blood Sugar Sex Magic, mm-hmm. the Red Hot Chili Peppers album. Yeah. The album that kind of launched them into the world yeah. in which they became huge and never stopped. Yeah, yeah, true. They, they maintained their fan base and kept their fan base. And, and off that album, they had four hits. Four hit singles. Pretty big hits too, to be honest. I know. But everyone's talking about, we've got to, the, the, big, the big ones that everyone talks about mm-hmm. are, of course, Nirvana, um, Metallica. Metallica, Soundgarden's Bad Motor Finger, Guns and Roses. Guns and Roses, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. And um, the other one is... Oh, now I've, now, now I've just forgotten. But everyone's talking about those albums mm-hmm. for this year. But I sent Chris on a research to look up the albums released in 91 because it wasn't just those albums, was it? No, no. There was so many albums that came out that year. And these, these are, these are songs... A lot of the al- songs on these albums... Are still getting played on radio, radio now. That's today. why the other day in the podcast I was saying driving the truck, 
I hear so many songs from the past. It's like I'm back in my teens and my early 20s. It's crazy. It's crazy, yeah. But, um, yeah, Van Halen brought out their album F-U-C-K, For Unlawful Cut of Knowledge, yep. that year. Yep. Skid Row brought out Slave to the Grind. Which was like, now Skid Row, they, they were always lumped in that hair metal band. Mm. Yeah, true. But I always felt there was too much New Jersey in those boys. Mm. There was, there was, except for Sebastian Bach, who always wanted to be a rock and roll star. They yeah. said he drove everyone mad on the Sunset Strip, yeah, yeah. telling everyone he was going to become a big rock and roll star. And apparently they all were like, yeah, 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 sure, whatever. Whatever. And, and he, he ended up becoming <laughs> And one. he was one of the greatest singers. Oh, he's amazing. Former on stage. It's like um, watching a beanpole, you know? Yeah, he's amazing. He's so tall and skinny, but man, he could... And the sing what a what a voice yeah. one of the all time greats, and but that album Slave to the Grind was such a heavy mm. record, and, and it, it surprised because it didn't have that radio friendly sound that the first album had. It didn't have the the, the, big, the big ballad. It like didn't. I remember you, which is a great song. I Absolutely. love I remember you. And again, it was one of those songs that album. Before that, with I Remember You, was the one that all the females liked. Mm. And because Sebastian Bach was a good-looking guy, everyone would go watch mm. and it brought the, the crowd. And then when they went and saw the new concert with this album, everyone's like, this is really heavy. When are they playing? Yeah, when are they playing something I know? I could, yeah. So, no slavery. 18 in life. Mm. So. so there we go. So we're talking about, we, you know, this, and this is, I think you're looking at order of release too, or are you just going? Uh, this is kind of order of release. So this yeah. is telling you what was happening in the year 1991. And yep. rock was the biggest thing. Yeah. Rock music was the biggest thing. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly was. Yep. Keep going. Um, we had Motorhead with 1916. We had Saxon with Solid Ball of Rock. One of my favourite bands, which wasn't rock, was R.E.M., and they brought out their great album called Out of uh, Time. With Losing My Religion. Losing My Religion. What th- a brilliant song that was. It's always been one of my favourite songs of theirs. Still a brilliant song, and a brilliant video too. Remember the yeah. video was what captured people's attention. Yeah. And it was, I was an R.E.M. fan for a long time before Out of Time came mm-hmm. out. And I remember when you Losing My Religion, it had the mandolin. There was no yeah, electric yeah. guitar on it. Yeah. And Peter Buck was known for this jangly electric guitar sound that he had. Because R.E.M. could go between this these light songs to really, not heavy, but really rocking out. Mm. They could really rock out. And then Out of Time came out, and even the band had no expectations. Yeah, yeah. But that whole album, just... Shiny happy people? <laughs> the, well, whole, the, the whole, everything just sort of jumped out at people. Yeah. My favourite R.E.M. song is on that album. Oh, yeah. It's it's not a single. It's okay. the last song on the album called Me and Honey. Mm-hmm. Michael Stipe sings it with Kate Pearson from the B-52s. She already oh, sung okay. yep. Shiny Happy People with them. Beautiful song. Yep. Just a beautiful, beautiful song. They released an album too, B-52s that year too. I didn't write it down though. Um, was it that so one? It was called... Cosmic Thing, I thought, had... Love Shack, but that was 89. Did they release something after that? Yeah, they released something this year. I remember seeing it in... Well, they were both from Athens, Georgia. Yeah. yeah That's yeah. why there was that thing with R.E.M. And, and to look at the B-52s, yes, they were a massive pop band. And, did, yeah. and, and Love Shack is one of the biggest selling singles of all time. <laughs> they started as a weirdo alternative band. I mean, when Lock Lobster first came out, yes, it was a hit, but geez, that was weird. It was very strange. It but still is a little strange. How catchy is it? Oh, yeah. Just like Shiny Happy People yeah. from R.E.M. How the, catchy is that tune? And that's the thing. R.E.M. could go t- to these catchy songs, to these really mm. deep, introspective songs. to write, And even they included hip-hop on that with um, the opening song. They used KRS-One on um, oh, Pop yeah. Song 18, right. Pop Song. Yeah. Or Radio Song. That was the name of the song, yeah. Radio Song. So they really... And that album really sort of was starting the alternative music into the mainstream. Yeah. Because that was it. R.E.M. went into the mainstream and they didn't compromise. No. And with the um, not playing electric guitar anymore, and that's mm. just changed the way they kept going forward too. And they kept they kept getting bigger and bigger. bigger and bigger. And even, I remember reading Kurt Cobain loved R.E.M. because of that. Okay. They didn't, yeah. they, they did it their way all the way. Yeah. And they just kept getting bigger. Bigger and bigger, yeah. Yeah. Um, Mr. Big released their album Lean Into It. With that one song I know. <laughs> well, it was a good album, to be honest, but the one song that became number one in 11 countries was To Be With You. And I, that was a thing that was happening in the early 90s, too, with um, Mr. Big and Extreme with More Than Words. More Than Words. These, yeah. the, the heavy metal bands all of a sudden started releasing ballads. Yeah. 
and the the alternative guys were releasing rock songs. Yeah, yeah. And that's where I think it kind of changed. The, the heavy metal guys were going down the ballad route. Mm. Because in Mr. Big, you have got Paul Gilbert on guitar. Amazing. Amazing guitar. Billy Sheehan on bass. One of the greatest. He is the greatest. He's one of he is one of the greatest. Yeah. I don't get Flea, it's Billy Sheehan for me. Yeah, you still lose Clay, Clay Paul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. Near. You can't really say he's the greatest when you got Les Claypool next to him. Oh, you watched Les play. Those two are just. I don't know how he sings and oh. plays those rhythms, but mind you, you look at the Police. Some of those bass lines on the Police songs, and mm. Sting was singing them. Yeah, yeah. At true. the same time, and you're like, wow. that, would, that would have been a four-string bass, most likely, where Les I think plays six most of the time. He plays sixes. Six he plays, strings. He, some, I think he does four on Winona's Big Brown Beaver. It's a four-string bass. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Keep going. The great, great, great bass players. Um, yeah. Temple of the Dog. Wow. The history behind that album is just phenomenal. Mm. Um, you've got um, Chris Cornell. Yep. Eddie Vedder. Yep. You've got Jeff Armet. Yep. The bass player from Pearl Jam. Mm-hmm. You've got Stone Gossard, the yep. guitar player from, from um, Pearl Jam. Now, these guys were in Mother Love Bone before. They were in Mother Love Bone with Andrew Wood, the lead singer. Mm-hmm. Andrew Wood used to share a flat with Chris Cornell. Now we're coming into Seattle, aren't we? Yeah, we're old. coming into wider Seattle. Yeah. Mother Love Bone were meant to be huge. They were. They were meant to be huge. And if you've heard the... any of their songs, there's a real epic quality to their music. Mm. They were literally about to be huge. Yep. Yeah. And they were about to release their album, their first album, mm-hmm. and Andrew Wood died. That's right. Of an overdose. Mm. So they had this album released a few months later, but um, this Temple of the Dog band was formed because of that. Chris Cornell being Andrew Wood's flatmate and best mm-hmm. mate and all that, he decided to do a tribute band album for mm-hmm. Andrew Wood. So they created Temple of the Dog, which is actually a lyric from one of the songs from, um, from Mother Love Bone. Okay, right, yeah, yeah. And they got... Mike McCready and Eddie Vedder to join them. Well, Eddie Vedder wasn't a native of Seattle. He was from San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. He had heard that there was this band in Seattle looking for a lead singer. Mm. And he heard the tape and he was surfing and he was coming up with the lyrics. And he just packed his gear, went up to Seattle and said, have a listen to me. And they probably just heard Eddie Vedder sing and just went, well, that's the thing. When they were recording Hunger Strike, mm. which was written by Chris Cornell yeah. for the Temple of the Dog tribute to Andrew Wood, he kept singing the song, recording it, and going, something's missing. I'm not doing this right. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Mm. But it's not how I'm hearing it in my head. And then they got Eddie Vedder to sing it, and it worked. Mm. And, that album, and that's when, basically after that happened, the album was released. Pearl Jam was created because the bass player, the drummer, the other mm. guitar player... Or join Eddie and created Pearl Jam. And we all know what happened then. <laughs> they released 10 the same year. Yes, exactly right. But it's, it's, it's funny that 10 was this monster record. Mm. But the origin of it came from this tribute album to a musician that no one had ever really heard of. Yeah, yeah. And some of those songs on 10 were actually songs written by Mother Lovebone with Andrew Wood. Mm. That Jeff and Stone had written, reworked. And then put different lyrics over it by Eddie. So a lot of those songs have a bit of an Andrew Wood influence in them. You know, you can hear it in the first album. Yeah, ten. Yeah, yeah. You can sure. you can hear you can hear the Andrew Wood influence because yeah. Pearl Jam sound completely different from ten. Yeah, but the two writers records. from those songs in Pearl Jam, you don't get that, especially for first album. Yeah, you don't get that kind of influence in there. But yeah, definitely, um, amazing album. Hunger Strike is a great song. Yeah, it's a great song. Brilliant. And just the the beauty between. Um, Eddie Vedder's voice and Chris Cornell's voice. Mm. Yeah, it's good because everyone's talking about, as I said, the big albums of this year. But this is you're looking at what's happening, and as I said, Andrew Wood, no one had heard of him. No. So why are these? Why is this amazing? And everyone had heard of Soundgarden. By this stage, Soundgarden were about to become pretty yep. big. Yeah. So everyone was asking, why are they doing a tribute album to a guy we've never heard of? Mm. I mean, people do tribute songs to musicians they like all the time. Yeah. But Temple of the Dog and people listen. By this stage, Triple J is the number one, you know, kids station in the country, and they are playing this. And people, I don't know, I heard it and just went, "Wow!" Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I've been wanting to listen to. Yeah, stuff yeah. like this. Yeah, it's melodic, it's beautiful, but it's heavy. Yeah. And speaking of Chris Cornell, um, Soundgarden brought out an album. What one was that, Chris? You tell me. Is that bad motor finger. Do you like it, Chris? No. 
Why don't you like it, Chris? <laughs> I listened to it the other day, and I found it really messy, to put it in a word. Especially the first song. Rusty Cage is awesome. Nah. Rusty Cage is awesome. Nah, it's not. You've wired me awake and hit me with a head of broken nails. What a lyric. I love the guitar. The lyric may be fine, I just found it so chopped. As heavy as the tuning on it and everything. We're going to cover Bad Motor Finger now, aren't we? You don't like it. I don't, it's not my favourite Soundgarden record. No, I, I like there's a, there's a couple of songs on it I like. There's a couple, I like any Soundgarden record. I don't think any Soundgarden record is absolutely perfect. I think they start really well. And then by the end, you just no one talks about the last six or seven songs on a Soundgarden well, if, record. Well, if they start really well and the first song is Rusty Cage, then they haven't started very well in my opinion. Because <laughs> I think that was rubbish. This podcast is over. You've, you've said it before. I have, but I can't. I'm you've always threatened me. I always threatened you, but that's half the fun of it, isn't it? Well, I'll give you the time. <laughs> bad motor finger. Look, you know what? It's not the greatest record. It is getting recognised because I think it's the one that put... I think it was Outshined was the single, or mm, was it the... Um, I like no, Outshined, I think, is number two that was the, or three. Yeah, and I like Jesus Christ pose, but he obviously didn't like the guitar and bass. It's very... It's there. Yeah. But, yeah. Terry Date produced that. He produced Pantera stuff. Well, he got better then. Go to the next record, Chris. <laughs> the Tea Party. Was that first album come out that year? Yep. Is it just called The Tea Party? Yep. Ah, oh, Self-titled. Splend- self-titled, yeah. Probably the Splendor Solace, their second album, was one that probably made them more. Kind of home, yeah. We like The Tea Party in Australia. They're a Canadian band. But um, Jeff Martin from The Tea Party lives at Byron Bay. I met him on the airplane one day. Okay. He dresses like a rock star. He's a cool dude. Is he? One of the only few people I met, I said, I worked up to him in the Collingate Airport, and I said, excuse me, because I was watching him all the way. He got on the plane with me at at um at Melbourne, and my wife said, that guy, look at him, he dresses like a rock star. And I went, yeah, yeah look at him, you know. And I went, God, he looks familiar. He looks really familiar. And then I went, I went up to Collingate Airport, and I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> and this is only like a couple of years ago. I'm not a kid. Are you Jeff Martin from the T? I try to be real quiet because I don't want to, I know it's, and he was like, yes, I am. And I went, oh, Jeff, can I please get a photo with you? You sure can. He probably hasn't been asked for 10 years. Yeah. And I took a photo with him and then I said, mate, Tea Party, 97 was one of the best concerts I've ever been to. And he went, thank you, brother. And he shook my head. Oh, no. And I thought, you're a cool dude. Yeah. He took us Australia a bit and. You know, he's still, with all the lockdowns, he's amazing we can get a bloody show at the moment. Yeah, but true, yeah. true. Yeah, he lives at Byron Bay, Canadian band. I love the tea party. Can't go wrong. Um, Anthrax released Attack of the Killer Bees, mm-hmm. which is all B-side stuff. That's yep. why it's called that. But it had... Bring the Noise. The duet with Public Enemy, <laughs> which rocks the house. Yeah, it's good. Um, I'd like to do a show on hip-hop once. Yeah, we can do a show whatever you like. I'd like to Just do hip hop. I've been listening to a lot of hip hop this last yeah. week. You know, okay. you're talking about what you're listening to. Yep. I've been listening to a lot of hip hop, mm-hmm. um, Beastie Boys and um, De La Soul and a bit of um, Public Enemy. Yep. I like the old school stuff. So yeah, but that I mean, by that stage, Public Enemy are just becoming the rap act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the hip hop act. It's like yeah, yeah there's rock and there's hip hop. But Anthrax were one of the few bands that really sort of. Even though we got we had walked this way by this time, yeah, Anthrax like Scott Ian was wearing Public Enemy t shirts, yeah, accepted the um, hip hop scene, yes, and basically kind of like they had comparisons to heavy metal, mm. um, so yeah, definitely, yeah, it was good. Um, now this this is we are literally, and I I got to admit I I could probably tell you I bought most of these records. What about you, Chris? Um, I definitely had. Attack of the, I still have Attack a lot, of the Killer Bees. A lot of these ones. I definitely bought most of these. Yeah. Probably not Mr. Big. I didn't buy that one. I did for that one song, so I learned it on guitar back then. Oh, yeah. Because um, you wanted to impress I think the it was ladies. Than the Pardon? You wanted to impress the ladies. No, I just wanted to get better at playing guitar. No, no. See, Chris, for Chris, to, he, he would learn that song to impress the ladies, where I would learn a Motorhead song. Uh, As you can tell. <laughs> obviously, Metallica released their album... Ozzy Osbourne released. A little band called Metallica a released. Band the, called Metallica. Now, we've talked about this a lot, oh, so we don't need to go into too no, much. No, no. It's it's 30th anniversary. Our second, our second episode podcast was all about, about Metallica. We we know about the album. It It's selling well. It's still really good. Mm. Yeah, it still sounds great. Comes out of the yeah. speakers beautifully. Let's go on. Oh, on that note, before we do finish with Metallica, Miley Cyrus sings 
nothing else matters. Do you like it? I do. Have you heard it? Uh, yeah, I like it. I think Miley... All right, we're going to talk about Miley Cyrus here. I think Miley's covers are sensational. I think she's amazing, especially that um, song she sings um, uh, from Blondie. Yeah, Heart of Glass. Heart of Glass. She gave it that... Because Blondie started as a punky sort yeah, of band. Yeah. And she gave, she brought back that punky energy to it. Yeah. I really dug it. Her version of Jolene with Dolly Parton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sensational. Yeah. Uh, she's done another cover recently. I... I'm not sure, but I know there's nothing else about my I just think one. Miley Cyrus, and I do like her, I, I just think she could have a really great career reinterpreting other people's songs. Mm. You know, it, I mean, God, Frank Sinatra made a career out of it. Yeah. You know, um, Miley Cyrus could really do that because hearing what she does with other people's songs, and she just gives it, she, there's nothing false about any of it. And she, I don't think she can... Um... She doesn't miss a, like she does the best she can with a song in her own way, but still mm. keeps it real yeah. to what the original was, mm. but does it in a way that's, I think in a, in a way, she's like the Susie DeMarchi, like Susie DeMarchi from Baby yeah, yeah, could yeah, do yeah. the same kind of thing. Yeah. Really good, strong rock voice, which suits It's all them. the cigarettes. <laughs> oh, honestly. <laughs> it's all the ciggies, Probably. Mate. But yeah, so if you haven't listened to that, there's an album called The Blacklist, which is what Metallica just mm. released as well, which is... I think 50 artists doing covers of their songs from the Black Album. And a lot of those songs are great, but just that one from Nothing Else Matters, she played it live with Metallica on Howard Stern mm. the other day. And it's just great to mm. hear that. You know, it was so good. So I, good. Just, I just want to say, I've mentioned it before, The Chats, band from Sunshine Coast, do holier than now. The Chats, if you've never seen them, get on YouTube, look up Smoko. Have you seen it, Chris? No. no. Oh, look it up. Okay. They could be, they, these guys could be huge. Okay. Bunch of punks from the Sunshine Coast. Are they on the album, aren't they? Yeah, they do yeah, holier than now. Holier than yeah. yeah, it sounds like the chats too. Ozzy <laughs> <laughs> um, Osbourne released No More Tears, which is one of my favourite Ozzy albums. It is one of his and best. And the song No More Tears is brilliant. brilliant. Mama, I'm coming home is on that album as well. Which you know he wrote. Mo- you know he wrote most of those songs with Lemmy. Did he? Yeah. Did I you know, know that? that. No. Yeah, because I remember reading an interview and Ozzy said Lemmy could tell you um, you're an idiot. Better than I could. Like he'd say, I spoke. I said one of the lines is, um, "I spoke to God the other day. He doesn't like you either." <laughs> that's classic. There's a bumper t- um, Yeah, that's, there. that's a good. That's a t-shirt, isn't it? I spoke to God the other day. He doesn't like you either. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Guns of Roses, Usual Illusion, one and two. No, no. We all know about this one. Mm-hmm. I, look, I, I don't want to go on too much. We all know Usual Illusion, one and two. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, under um, Ultimate Classic Rock website has been going through every that track on that track by track, which has been a good listen because there's stories in that. Yep. But do you remember the day it came out? We were waiting for that album. They kept putting it off. It's supposed to come out in 1990, remember? Mm-hmm. Song Civil War came out. Mm-hmm. And then it, they kept putting it back. Mm-hmm. Put, and we, you just going, is this album? And it was just like, is this album ever going to happen? Yep. And it was one of the biggest, they reckon when it opened in Tower Records in LA, yep. people lined up around the block. I remember I went into the record store in Brisbane. I had to rush down at lunchtime because I was working then, and they had the piles of them on the desk. One and two, please. Yeah. People, some people were only just buying. They were buying two first. That was the first one that sold well because you could be mine, which was the big single. And yeah, Civil from the War movie. were on that. Terminator. Yeah. Until people discovered November Rain. Yeah. And then they just bought Use Your Illusion one, and that just. Yeah. I had those albums. I had the Blue Use Your Illusion two album. Yep. Before I had Usual Illusion 1. And I bought both on the same but day. I bought, I got Usual Illusion 2 a month before they released it in Australia. Oh. Because a friend of mine, my cousin, went over to America and got it from there. In the big cardboard box with the CD in the bottom. And oh, the, that's, they used to do that in America, didn't yeah, they? Yeah. The, 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 so the, I had the, that. the long box. He came yeah. back and he gave me my LA Gear shoes and my Usual Illusion Blue album. So I had that, I think it would have been a couple of weeks before they and released I, it here. And I remember when I first started listening to it, I was just sat there and went, it's all right. No, I loved it. Uh, and I, I, it's funny because... Oh, Civil 2 was better. I like 2 because yeah. I'm the first one I listened to and I love Estranged and I loved all these other songs on there as well. Locomotives on 2. Yep. Um, Breakdown, I think, is a great song. Civil War's brilliant. Civil War's you brilliant. Good mine is good. Mm. Um, but my mate who bought it for me from America, he had the yellow one, number 1, mm-hmm. version 1. And he loved that. So we'd argue over it. So we swapped discs... Number one's got November Rain on it. Yeah. I don't. If I never hear November Rain again. Oh, uh, I love it. Nah. The solo, that's brilliant. Coma, yeah, though, so Coma though was on one, and I just love Coma. 
Yeah, yeah, that's good. Karma's that's good. great. Living that dies on that, which should never be sent again. But anyway, yeah. um, he loved number one. I loved number two. We used to argue over which one was the best, so we swapped discs. And then we got to the point where we were both listening. Both albums are brilliant. Both albums have got great songs. Some have, a, you know, not the best, but it was a great time when those two albums came out. Well, the reason why I'm bringing that, I'm going into Guns N' Roses here, because Hard School. When Hard School, Guns, yeah. Guns N' Roses song came out this yeah, week. Yeah, we did speak a few weeks ago about Absurd. Yes, and we didn't Absurd. Like didn't yeah. like it at all. It was a bit rubbishy, but this new one, Hard School. What do you think? Do you I think? like it. I it like sounds it. like a Guns N' Roses song. It sounds like a Guns N' Roses song. And, and, guns, and that's the thing about Guns N' Roses is they sound like the, no one else sounded like them mm. and still don't. And it was recorded. It was originally written in 96, mm -hmm. Hard School, under yep. the working title Jackie Chan. That's why you, yes. Yep, yeah. because they were asked to do a soundtrack song for a Jackie Chan movie and Axel apparently is a huge Jackie Chan fan. So they're going to do that. So they wrote Hard School under the top working title of Jackie Chan and then just before it was released, Slash quit. So, um, By that stage, Slash released. was only the only original member left with... No, Slash and Duff was with them back when still with oh, those okay. days. They were still... It was only just after the recording of... Um, like they did, did a huge illusion one and two and a few years back, yeah, it was Duff and Slash. I was always a Duff fan. Duff was one of the first bass players I listened to that made me go, whoa. He kind of keeps to me, he's like the the parent. <laughs> he has to be. <laughs> just like Kirk Hammett is when <laughs> when things went bad in Metallica. He was like the parent. He was like the one trying to like talk to Slash and then... Yeah. It's okay, it's only Axel. Yeah. You know, talk to Axel. Yeah. I'll cover, I'll fix it probably it doesn't work without Duff, does it? No, I don't think it does. I don't think it does. I don't think it does. Yeah, so. It needs Duff, otherwise it's... It doesn't. If it was just Axel and Slash, I, but Duff to me is the one that... I always say I'm a big Izzy fan, but Duff to me is like the like a bass player should be, holds it together. Yeah, yeah. And I think, because he didn't play with Guns N' Roses for a long time either, mm. when he started playing with them again, touring, Duff... Mm. Um, you could sense then that things were going to be worked out so Slash would join again. Yeah. And it happened. So maybe it's pretty much likely the case. Plus Duff is a punk. Yeah. yeah. And I'm a punk at heart and so is Duff. And that's yep. why you know, he was in the farts. Yeah. In Seattle. So yeah. Um, Caius brought out their first album. Wretch. Wretch. Mm. And then um, I didn't now, know now Wretch. Now it was an album that Caius never really, they, they had this thing, they were the stoner rock sludgy sort of thing. Yeah. The next album was probably a bit bigger for them, Blues yeah, yeah. for the Red Sun. Yeah. And, but, um, Kais are important because of the whole Josh Homme thing, mm -hmm. which is not a good thing now, but Queens of the Stone Age came from... That. Band. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, what's that one he did with, um, Them Crooked Vultures with John Paul Jones oh, yeah. and Dave Grohl, you yeah. know? So, yeah, Queens of the Stone Age came from that whole... Caius thing and then Josh Homme was just the guitarist he wasn't yeah. even the lead singer so yeah can be coming out later on yeah um, for my friends who are listening who love Primus Sailing the Seas of Cheese my Mills Les Claypool <laughs> Les Claypool so that album came out um, I remember when, when they did the Guitar World one of those Guitar World polls you know the best guitarist best bass player yep. you know how they always have a photo of uh, like the guitarist holding their axe or doing yep. a face you know or doing something and Les Claypool got bassist of the year or whatever and it's him playing horseshoes <laughs> yeah, that's funny and he's right um, a mate of mine met him oh really met Clay's, Les Claypool at a Primus gig you know he was yeah. watching the support act and he said he never talked to him once about the band because a mate of mine's into um, hunting and fishing mm -hmm. and so's Les Claypool alright so all they talked about is hunting and fishing that's funny <laughs> it's funny isn't it that's cool though yeah that's what you yeah. yeah. So Jerry the Race Car Driver and Tommy the Cat. Love them. Oh, great great songs. songs on album. Oh, what a good songs. But yeah, that's... Um, this is 91. There's more yeah. than just those five or six albums that everyone's talking about. There's this. Spin Doctors. Oh, pocket full of kryptonite. They came out with a song called Two Princes. And Little Miss Can't and Be Wrong. How is that anybody's favourite song? But those two songs still get played on the radio. The band I was in back then, we played Two Princes. Did you really? Yeah. It's a How really big? catchy, melodic song to play, song. melodic, and it played well in pubs. And um, obviously, you you played it in pubs. People sing along to it and jump. I didn't along. play it in pubs. I played it in um, a battle of bands. But um, yeah, people just knew it. You know, it wasn't mm. like a um, song that would play um, every set list or anything. But it was fun to play. It was a good song. They didn't become one of those obscure bands that 
Well, are they still around now? Oh, I think they probably tore it. <laughs> I hope not. Somewhere, idea. yeah. But yeah, that but was... they, you know what I mean. They, they didn't. What I so mean by obscure bands, they're not obscure. They're still played on commercial radio. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Still to this day, yeah. those two songs are probably still making those guys money. Money in yeah. some capacity. Yeah. They're getting royalty checks every year because of those two songs mm. and that album. Yeah. So yeah, you know, yeah, keep going. That's all you need. <laughs> a couple of songs in your set. In America, anyway. Yeah, Pearl Jam, obviously, 10, we've already spoken about that. But what a great album that was. What I want to talk to you about 10. I love the album when it came out, and mm -hmm. I am a Pearl Jam fan. I listened to their last album recently, Gigaton, mm -hmm. and it made me re-love Pearl Jam again okay. because it made me realise what a really, really good band they are. Mm -hmm. They're a great American band. Yep. Um, you know, they just they play rock and roll honestly. There's no crap about them it's, it's, it's honest rock and roll I've never seen them live have you seen no I've live? just seen videos I'll, but next time they talk the show is pretty three hours they do these epic three hours it's not shows. a big show it's nope. just them on the stage and they change the set list every night so it's not okay. the same thing yep. they made a point of doing that that's why the Pearl Jam fans grab the bootlegs right because different set different. lists and they yeah they change it up a lot during yep. their show oh there you go yeah you know as I said Springsteen does that the Stones do it Yep. You know, I was telling you in the car on the way down here, Biscuit even do that. Oh, wow. Change yeah, their set right, list yeah. to bed. Yeah. But um, it's funny, Pearl Jam was produced by a man named Rick Parashar. We, I saw this on the, one of Rick Beato's videos, and it made me listen to it. Mm -hmm. He talked about how, because I've seen now you can get the Brendan O'Brien, who went on to produce Pearl Jam's albums after 10. And Brendan O'Brien is not, a, he's not exactly a technical producer. He, he, a lot of his stuff he puts in the red. Yep. But ACDC use him now, and everyone seems to use because oh, okay. he produces these just honest-sounding rock records. Put the levels in the red, he doesn't care. Yep. If it sounds a bit, it meant to sound loud and in your face a little bit. And because um, Eddie Vedder said he never liked the sound of 10. Really? He said it sounded too commercial. A lot of reverb wow. in it. Yep. It sounded too much like a Bon Jovi record for them. Okay. They always use that reference. Yeah, yeah. So they went and... Um, they did the remix with Brendan O'Brien where cut, literally they just cut out all the reverb. Right. And to me, it's a better sounding record. Really? Yeah, because it, it's it's a more honest record and it sounds like Pearl Jam. Okay. It hasn't got this huge, big produced... For mine, this is only yeah. a personal taste, but for mine, it didn't have that huge produced polished sound. It just had this really honest, raw rock and roll band sound. Mm. And it, I thought it gave a lot, a lot of songs like Black and Jeremy more room to breathe. You I know? love Jeremy. Yeah, Jeremy's a great song. Even Flow Jeremy Alive. Yeah, Jeremy's yeah. one of my favourite songs. Yeah, Black is one of my all-time favourite songs. Yeah. yeah, Oceans is great. If you're in a good mood, if you want to chill out with a song, oh. Oceans is the song to listen to in the background. I love Release, you know, the last yeah. song on the record. You know, so there we named them all nearly. <laughs> is that good? That's how big that album was. So, yeah. But, yeah huge that album was. Um, uh, Alice Cooper brought out Hey Stupid. Which... Good, yeah, good track on it, but it, it was the album that followed Trash, which was huge. Which one was it with um, Poison? Trash. Yeah, okay. So Trash was, was huge. Yeah, that was really big. This one here wasn't, but it had Slash, Ozzy, and Joe Strani on it. Yeah, because it's Alice. Yeah. Alice, so still, Alice is still producing decent music. He's and like, he's still touring. He's touring oh, again now in the States. Yeah, right his, his last few albums. Mm-hmm. Have been really good. Mm. Nothing. There's nothing on the level of his seventy. I mean, I, I actually still go back and listen to Billion Dollar Babies. It's one of my mm. favorite records. Um, Welcome to My Nightmare, one of my yep. favorites. You know, I love a lot of that seventies stuff. But, but I've gone when I went and saw him last year. Um, my daughter is right into Alice Cooper. Yep. She mainly because of Nita Strauss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alice has always had great musicians in his yep. band, always, and she loved Nita Strauss, and so she's been listening to a lot of the albums that Nita plays on. Okay. Even Alice's album last year, this year, Detroit Stories. Have mm -hmm. you heard that? Fantastic. Fantastic. John yeah. Five plays on the record. Oh, wow. But so does Wayne Kramer from the MC5. It's all Detroit musicians. Oh, wow. And it's just songs about Detroit, where he grew up. It, it, Detroit stories. Terrific. He's still bringing out good music. Yeah. 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 Alice Nita is still Strauss great. Is a great guitar player. Hey? Nita Strauss is an awesome She's guitar an awesome player. Guitar and she player. replaced um, Orient. Yeah, who's, who's awesome. Who was a great guitar player yeah. from Australia. Now yeah. she's... She's with Richie Sambora. Richie Sambora, yeah. yeah. They still, live in, they still live in Adelaide, I think. Really? Yeah, she's from Adelaide, yeah. Okay, because they were in a guitar centre the other day. They showed a video of them going to a guitar centre in America. Oh, well, they obviously live in Adelaide. Buying, buying guitars. playing guitars. They should have to. <laughs> well, she played, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, obviously, Red Hot Chili Peppers. 
Well, yeah, look. Give it away, know. under the bridge, suck my kiss, and break in the girl with the four hits off the album. That's pretty good for us, for an album to have four hits, which is pretty good. Four is good. Yeah. Four. Most of them don't do that, probably. Well, that was always the big benchmark. Well, we might talk about that in another episode, because I, I think there's a thing about 80s records. Yep. With the amount of singles on them. Because Thriller, you know, we'll, we'll mention it in detail, but Thriller set the benchmark with seven. Every wow. song on Thriller, Michael Jackson had that, that he wanted every song on that album to be a potential single. They had seven singles off nine songs off Thriller. And did they all go to seven, uh, number one? No, not only uh, only Billie Jean, Beat It, and Thriller went number one. Right. So three number ones. Yeah. Bad had five number ones. Fire out. Um, and when Def Leppard went in to make... Hysteria? Hysteria. That was the plan. Matt Lang said, the heavy metal Thriller. Seven singles are off Hysteria. Wow. So, you yeah. know, there you go. So for four, that's big. That's pretty big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's pretty big. For a band you don't like. People like them. Yeah, what can I say? Good. I don't want to go too much into it, you know. Yeah. I, like, I don't like them, that's it. Public Enemy. Apocalypse 91, The Enemy Strikes Black. You can discuss this because I don't know. Oh, it starts off. One thing I loved about Public Enemy, I was always liked, apart from the rapping of Chuck D and Flavor Flav, is Terminator X, the DJ sounds that he creates. And yeah. the... Production from a bunch of guys called the Bomb Squad. It's in your face. Yep. That album starts off with this drone that just goes on and on through the song. And I'm a fan of sampling and stuff. And there's something about Apocalypse 91. It even includes the version of Bring the Noise. The oh, yeah, it, yep, it does yep. include as an extra track. Yep. But it's got by the time I get to Arizona, it's got um oh nine one. I know nine one one is a joke was on the one before that. Oh, there's, there's so many good songs on Apocalypse 91. Public Enemy were the preeminent mm. rap act in my books. And there's those three albums they produced. There was um, It Takes Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back, Fear of a Black Planet, and Apocalypse 91. Yep. Just killer. Yep. Just bang, bang, bang. Three out, three out. There. I'm a fan. love Public Enemy. Fair I'm enough. still listening when I can, but I love Public Enemy. Um, Scatterbrain. Was that 91? Yep. I thought that was 1990 when Don't Call Me Dude Don't came Call out. Me Dude came out. Okay, I don't remember that. So if you're discussing the top 500 Rolling Stone fun songs, there's number one. <laughs> what about the riffs? Was it, There's a song on that called um, Down With The Ship where it's just all these riffs and you have to try and name the different riffs that they use. Oh, really? I don't know. Well, see, they changed the laws with sampling, but they played them. I don't think they sampled them. But okay. everything's just made... Yeah, it's like they do. They talk about love between each mm -hmm. line, of, and there's another riff, and all different yep. riffs. Yeah, oh, yeah. So don't call me dude. That was a huge hit. I um, know all the words to that. That's how stupid that song is. A <laughs> good kid, Joe, came out with their album. Um, Man, we everything we, about you. That's and didn't Cats in the Cradle mm -hmm. on that, that record as well? As well? Yeah. They were huge. Yeah, they were huge. I our band used to play that song. Hey, Our band they? played that song as well, what? Everything About You. Did they? It was huge. Well, it, was, it didn't become big until the next year, 92, because of Wayne's World. Oh, yeah. It yeah, was yeah. used in Wayne's World, yeah. and that's when Ugly Kid Joe became huge. Like, that's what happened. Some albums were a bit of a slow burn, yep. and that one was one. But once again, you don't realise how big Ugly Kid Joe were. Yeah, they were huge. They were huge in the early 90s. Yep. It was that um, whole thing, the alternative, faith no more, rap sort of thing, yeah. 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 Ugly, um, U2 brought out Uktun Baby. Wow. In 91. My favourite U2 album. Is it really? Oh, I think the Joshua Tree everyone likes, but my, for me it's Uktun Baby. Oh, there you go. I love the cold European Germanic thing. The fact they recorded it in Hans's studios where David Bowie oh, um, really? made his brilliant Heroes and Low, you know, oh, just okay. had that cold European. Connection but then to it's, Heroes. But then it's got this beautiful <laughs> one. Some of the most beautiful U2 songs yeah. are on this. My favourite... Um, so cruel. It's one of my favorite U2 ballads. Yeah. Uh, is on it. Some of my favorite U2 songs are on. And U2 are a band that I've fallen out of love of. They, they haven't produced a decent song in 20 years, yep. honestly. But Akhtung Baby, I will go back to. Mm. And I will play it from start to finish. I love Akhtung oh, Baby. Yeah. yeah, I love it. Speaking of MJ before, Dangerous came out. Dangerous. Mm -hmm. Massive record. Mm. Not as big as his first two, but still had the singles. Slash yep. played on the album. Yeah, he did too. That's Give right. him to me. I think yep. he plays on, and uh, he also played the guitar riff in not the um, the opening guitar solo bit in Danger and um, 
black or white. Black or white, yeah, yeah. But another big record for Michael Jackson. Yeah. You Nothing know? he could do back then mm. would ever fail. No. Um, just a quick bunch before we finish. Lenny Kravitz brought out Mama Said. Yeah. Uh-huh. So Lenny Kravitz being Lenny Kravitz, how good's that? Uh, uh-huh. Roxette brought out Joyride. That was their they second were huge. album. Pop. Swedish uh, pop, man. Alanis Morissette. Before before she got all angry on Jagged Little Pill. Mm. Mm. I won't speak about Alanis Morissette right now. Um, Crowded House came out with Woodface. Big album for Crowded House. Huge many album, people though. many people think it's probably their best record. Oh, okay. It's the one Tim Finn was on. It's got um now, my favourite Crowd House song is Distant Sun, which was on the next album, but doesn't, I'm uh, not whether with you, Fall at Your Feet is on Woodface. Okay, yep. Good, that's, I get yep. chills thinking, Fall at Your Feet is such a good. And we didn't mention them the other day in the Australian one because they're not Australian. They are Australian. They're formed in Melbourne. Depends who you talk to. Depends who you talk to about If you're a Kiwi. If you're a Kiwi. Oh no, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole different ball game. Yeah, Wood, Woodface came out, and uh, also my favorite, one of my favorite albums of all time, Doughboy Do Hollow by Died Pretty. Okay. Oh yeah, got a Died Pretty, one of my favorite Australian bands of all time, and that is one of my favorite records of all time. Oh wow. Ninety one. Yeah. What a freaking year. Marky Mark. And the Funky Bunch. And the Funky Bunch came yeah. out with Good Vibration. Wow. Um, Dire Straits come out. And you know what? He's never been able to live that. <laughs> I think he. Apparently, you get told on a film set you're not allowed to refer to Mark as Marky Mark. Oh, really? That's how big Good Vibrations was. <laughs> Made him a lot of money. Could have been forgotten about, but no, everyone remembers Good Vibrations. Yeah, yeah. Dire Straits on every street. Oh, uh, yeah, that was the end of the line for them. Yeah, they didn't really do much after, even. They tried, I think, on that, and I think. It's finished. They were out. You even listen to that record, and you're like, they're out of puff. Yeah. They're completely out of steam. It must be. They must have realised that, Mark Knopfler, because they haven't really done anything. You never really... reformed them. Apparently they all don't speak, they didn't speak to each other, but he wrote all the songs and yeah, yeah. he produced it and all, and so yeah. he kind of owned it, I suppose. Yeah, I, but... think, I think the rest of the band was more so just hired guns. Yeah, but you sort of, if, if, if you're not in the band as a hired gun, you know, they come back with the lawsuit that, well, it's my bass playing that, yeah, yeah. you know, made that song. You know, he's kind of come back and say, how many bass, you know, anyone can play bass, you know. <laughs> Unless your name is bloody... Rob Trujillo or um, you know Duff McKagan. Yeah. No one's listening to your bass lines. Yeah. Or Flea, you know. And uh, Belinda Carlisle come out with Live Your Life Be Free. You love Belinda Carlisle. <laughs> I do. Her album For whoever, whoever said Chris should never talk about the Spice Girls again, he loves Belinda Carlisle. Yes, I'm a huge Belinda Carlisle fan. Her album before this one here was Runaway Horses. And I still... Love it. I listen to it all the time. It's great. The Go-Go's were cool. Pardon? The Go-Go's were cool. Yeah, I saw them live in New York when they were... Oh, cool. Um, we uh, came back and did a bit of a comeback. You believe, you're a Belinda Carlisle fan. I am. It's so funny what some of the things you like, hey? It's funny because I bought one of the very first Sony five-disc turntables in oh, Tasmania. Yeah. It was being released in oh, America. All those things were problematic, weren't they? And I... No, it wasn't. It was great. Best <laughs> thing I ever bought. And I used to have it in my in my bedroom, and I had number one, two, three, four, five discs. And I the first disc I ever bought, compact disc, was that album by Belinda Carlisle, Runaway Horses. Do you know what mine was? And that went in number one spot, and never came out until I moved over uh, to Queensland. You know what my number first CD I ever bought? It's a compact disc. Which one? Appetite for Destruction. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I win in credibility stakes. I no, win. no, no. I win. I used to listen to music at night. I'd put it on and have it on repeat and wake up in the morning and still hear the same five discs playing. And it was just a great way to start the day when anything was playing. But if Linda Carlisle was still playing when I woke up, it was like, <sighs> nice. Her songs, her melodies, and everything on Runaway Horses was brilliant. So, yeah, I could talk about it for hours, days. <laughs> What a way to finish the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, Carlisle. we started with uh, an album called Fuck. <laughs> For an awful kind of knowledge. And we ended with Belinda Carlisle. Mm. That's the way we go in this show. That's It's music's everything. <laughs> Thanks for all that research, Chris. No problems at all. I was literally going to talk about the big six, but you have just, you, you blew my little mind a little bit. Well, we're just touching base on things. And just when you were talking about the six, I looked into it and I'm like, it's more to there are so many in that, that year. Yeah, it was I'm a sure big year. I'm sure it's the same with two and three, but because Metallica changed things and Guns N' Roses changed things, that's why they became 
So and Nirvana like, just in Nirvana. But it didn't Nirvana didn't change things till ninety two. Yeah, no, no, yeah. no. I just remember when the album came out, I you know, it heard smells like Teen Spirit, it must have been in ninety one. Yeah. And I just went, What the hell is yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. It was one of those songs. Yeah. It really did. You just you knew as soon as you heard it. Wow. Yeah. And there's not many songs, you know, sometimes you hear and go, Well, and even now I don't hear a lot of that, but there was Smells Like Teen Spirit, it was a wow moment. It's yeah. like I always remember on the Gold Coast they had um a friend of mine said, you want to come watch a band play at Fisho's? Oh, did you Fisherman's end up, oh, were you one of the 10 million that went on the Gold Coast? I didn't go. I was like, I don't, I don't know who Nirvana are, so I'm not going to watch them. They played Fisho's on the Gold Coast, and I'm like, yeah, I don't care about Nirvana. I don't know who they are. For those of you that don't know, the Gold Coast is a town of around five to 600,000 people. It's beautiful on the beach, for those of you who don't know. And it seems that this Nirvana gig at Fisho's in mm. January 99 is, is legendary yeah. because... Everybody seemed to have gone. Yeah. <laughs> it's only I mean? a small venue. It's, it was a tiny venue, but somehow there are ten to 20,000 people <laughs> who managed to we get into fish shows to see Nirvana. Yeah, I never went, but yeah. You know, it was just one of those gigs, you know. Should we finish on Nirvana instead of Belinda? Nah, Nirvana. Oh, no, we finished on the two. They both came out in 1991, Chris. Yeah, yeah, true. All things are equal in the Music Bar podcast. All good. That's what we're signing off with. <laughs> Subscribe, like. Please comment. Comment. All that sort of stuff. We love to hear. We love to hear from you. And we're glad you keep listening. Thank See you, you later. See you.